Today on Not Sam Wrestling, so much to get into following the draft. Rumors are abound, returns are coming. Let's get into it. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Here we are, episode 312. Not Sam Wrestling, a day or two late, but still here. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I am sorry that I was stripped away from you people unfairly. I was stripped away from the Not Sam Tonight's, not able to provide you with a Not Sam Wrestling uh, uh, on the Monday morning. I hope your week didn't get started out to a bad start because of it. Don't worry. If Even if it did, even if you're, the beginning of your week got completely messed up, because you didn't have Not Sam Wrestling to kind of ease you in and guide you in. You don't need to worry about that. Because now we can always restart. We can do it again. It's no problem. We can start now. Because here we are, Not Sam Wrestling, uh, coming off the draft. And uh, there were a couple reasons, of course, we had to be late. I, I, I had a, a, a family issue that had me on the road uh for 24 of the last 36 hours uh, in a car. Uh, but it actually isn't the worst thing in the world because the draft went down. And now we can, instead of recapping one night of the draft and kind of making predictions of the second night, we can look at the entire picture, the entire scope of everything going on. And I think there was a lot to kind of break down about what happened on Raw last night. So uh, let's start with a couple of positives. You know, I like to start with positives. Before, we will go down the entire draft because a lot of people were very critical of the draft this year. Not so much in the sense that it was so bad, but just in the sense that it didn't leave you with that feeling that draft day sometimes does where it's like, whoa, everything's different. Let's see where things go. It didn't necessarily, to a lot of people, feel like as much of a refresher as some people believe that the draft should. So we'll get into that and whether or not that's a legitimate uh, feeling or not. Uh, but I thought uh, there are two things that I'm enjoying. And one of them is a potential thing to enjoy. One of them, I I, I think I'm enjoying it, but I can't tell if this person is just using Twitter well. Um, it is very difficult to say... Retribution still remains a mystery. I think uh, going off the air on on last week and having Ali as the big reveal as the well, I actually didn't go off the air, which was a, a little weird. You know, it's interesting. It seemed like there was a lot of confidence in Retribution before it started to get kind of cool. And then it started to get kind of cool, and it was like, let's slow down on this retribution stuff. But the the reveal, I thought that the highlight of last week's Raw was Ali as, as the leader of retribution. Ali is the perfect leader of retribution. That's what retribution should be. Retribution shouldn't be Mace. It should be Dio Madden. There's no reason for Dio Madden to put a bunch of paint and a mask on. Dio Madden should tell the story of Dio Madden and be there. But I think that that, that story can be told through Ali. I think that the idea of uh, Retribution being um, performance center recruits unhappy uh, with their lack of use in WWE. That's one thing. But I think something that more of the audience can uh, can sort of relate to. And, and people like me who are just watching at home, fans can sit there and be like, oh, I get what this is. And I feel that. I can feel whether I agree with it or not, whether I like it, whether I'm cheering, whether I'm booing, I can understand the emotion behind this character is when you start to get into, I was brought up to Raw and not used. I was brought up to SmackDown and not used. Retribution needs to, at least in part, be about the talent that we see the potential in because we've watched them on Raw and we've watched them on SmackDown and nothing happens with them. Those are the people that should be looking for, pun intended, Ret. Tribution, yes. And so the Ali reveal as the leader, I, I thought completely fit, you know, and, and as we were talking about it on this podcast and on the Thursday, Not Sam Thursday Patreon podcast, 
uh, names that I had mentioned as far as people that should lead Retribution, that should join Retribution from the inside of WWE as the leader. Because I said when Retribution showed up, you need to have somebody on the main roster join and you need that person to join as the leader. Ali is the best pick, in my opinion. You could have also done it with Apollo Crews. You could have also done it with Ricochet. But I believe Ali is the best pick. I have been advocating for, at this point, over a year that Ali, that Mustafa Ali should be a heel and that Mustafa Ali should be a heel based on his treatment in WWE. He st- and, and he should still be the same person. Like, he should still be the same kind of principled person. If you follow Mustafa Ali on Twitter, if you, if you, uh, uh, if you watch his interviews, he's, a, he's an awesome dude, but he's a very principled dude. And you can easily tweak being principled into being, you know, somebody who doesn't want to participate with people who don't share his principles. I think that that Ali, being a naturally principled person, being an intelligent guy who can really tell a story, both with his words and in his matches, who's young and ridiculously talented, and who was shown to have all the potential in the world. That's the WWE's thing, right? They showed that he had all this potential. The potential wasn't buried at all. They showed it at WrestleManias. They showed it uh, leading towards elimination chambers before injuries happened. They let everybody know, look at how good this guy is. And we all agreed. So when that potential didn't get paid off, we sit there going, what happened? And that is the relatable story that Ali can tell here. Uh, the thing that I loved was after Kofi and Xavier got drafted to Raw on Friday, the story of the night, of course, was the New Day breakup and people trying to figure out, is this a work? You know, people, you know, they go, uh, uh, talent isn't told where they're being drafted uh, until it happens on the air. That's been, that's something that's happened historically. I don't know. I don't, I didn't read anywhere. I guess we don't know, or I don't know if that's the way it went down this year. But what I do know is that the reaction from the New Day was perfect in the sense that it told the story. The, the facial expression of Big E told the whole story. And so you're sitting there going like, what did like, and then they're unhappy with it and everything, but buried in all that story of New Day, all that story of Big E being unhappy, buried in there was a little tweet that went out and it was tweeted by Ali, and it was a quote tweet that Xavier and Kofi were coming to Raw. And it just said something like, hi, Kofi, and it was from Ali. And I'm like, finally, finally, because this is what I've been advocating for a year. This is the story that hasn't been told, okay? Uh, You know, there's so much meat on the bone to the story of Kofi's build to WWE champion and then having that title taken away. I mean, this is a story by Brock Lesnar. This is a story that's going to be told for years, and you're going to be able to revisit it. And you should. Who knows if you will, but you should. But the one story within that story that was never told was the fact that the reason Kofi went to WrestleMania was because he performed so well in a gauntlet match leading to the Elimination Chamber, and he performed so well in the Elimination Chamber that everybody was like, this is the match that we clearly want to see. And the WWE had their main event matches. They had the Roman Reigns match. They had the Brock Lesnar match. They had the Ronda Rousey match. They had everything they needed. So they said, yeah, we can, we can go all the way with Kofi. You listen to the fan. Yeah, we can do this. We can do Kofi versus Daniel Bryan. And they did it. That clearly wasn't in the plans from the beginning because Kofi wasn't supposed to be in that match. That was Ali's spot in the Elimination Chamber that Kofi won a gauntlet match for. If Ali hadn't gotten injured, the gauntlet match wouldn't have happened. Kofi wouldn't have impressed everybody. The Elimination Chamber participation wouldn't have happened. Kofi wouldn't have shocked the world and turned all these heads and and shown everybody this is the moment. We've all known that Kofi's good enough, but this is the moment. None of that would have happened. And theoretically, especially... If he's a bad guy, especially if he's a villain, Ali can sit there and argue that that was his moment that was taken away from him. It was supposed to be him 
going to WrestleMania to beat Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship. And none of that was ever paid off. There was never any, there was one handshake between Kofi and Ali once Ali got back from injury with Ali saying, you know, congratulations champ or whatever, but nothing, nothing. And Ali never got close to the main event. There was never a discussion about having an Ali-Kofi Kingston match, nothing. And I feel like that's something that should have been under the skin of Ali for this whole entire time. So I adore, adore that Ali went there with the tweet. I adore that it was hinted that, yeah, this is where we're going. And I don't necessarily know that that's WWE hinting, hey, we're aware of this as much as it's Ali who is putting juice into that character. Everybody in Retribution, say what you want about Retribution, but you follow those social media accounts and everybody on that team is going out of their way to make Retribution work. T-Bar is an excellent tweeter. Ali is an excellent tweeter. I like Slapjack. I haven't read a lot of Slapjack's tweets, but I'm sure they're great. But they are doing, that's the truth to Retribution. That if you get past like the, you know, Halloween costumes, that it's a bunch of young athletes in there that are going to do everything they can to take whatever they're given, whatever opportunity that they're given, and make something out of it. And that's the kernel of truth in Retribution. That the spirit of Retribution coming in and, and, and tearing everybody apart and beating up Andrade or whatever it is, the spirit of that is getting played out in real life by them not going like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what this is, by them going, yes, here we go. Now, I don't, I, I think not enough, I think the problem with Retribution is that the creative work needs to get done. I think that, that I, we can get past it now, it is what it is, but there was no explanation as to why Retribution got signed in the first place, other than, well, now they can do whatever they want. I, they, they tried to, on Twitter, explain it, but on television, it was never explained. And it really wasn't explained why they were drafted. I mean, I wouldn't draft them into my organization. I wouldn't draft them into Not Sam Backyard Wrestling because they'd ruin my backyard. They'd step all over my wife's flowers. And I'm like, that's not even part of the, my backyard wrestling arena. She said, we have to stay away from there, Retribution. What are you doing? But... I think that stuff has to be explained, but I think a lot of stuff uh, has to be explained um, when it comes to when it comes to the draft. The other thing, uh, speaking of the draft and speaking of Raw, the other thing that I loved about uh, Monday Night Raw was the stuff going on with Alexa Bliss is everything that I wanted it to be. The stuff going on with Alexa Bliss is the stuff that we were talking about, you know, when this first started happening. Oh, is Alexa Bliss going to be Sister Abigail? No, Alexa Bliss shouldn't be Sister Abigail. Alexa Bliss should just be the female version of The Fiend. I think the Alexa Bliss character needs to evolve to the point that I think Tom Savini, and I hope he already is designing it, but I think Tom Savini needs to design a mask for Alexa Bliss. I think the idea that we know that there is so much beauty under this hideous, beastly mask and that she chooses to wear the mask because it represents who she thinks she is. There's so much psychology. It's almost the reverse of the Kane character. The Kane character theoretically was wearing a mask because there was so much ugliness and the scars, and he didn't want the world to see what had become of his body. The fiend version of Alexa Bliss, whatever you want to call that, haunted by the spirit of Sister Abigail, the same spirit that haunts the fiend, not the person that becomes Sister Abigail, but Sister Abigail is that spirit that haunts everybody that is in that sort of a, a, a fiend sphere, but that that mask represents what's inside Alexa Bliss. It's the complete reverse. And, and I just, I, I think that it would be huge. If Alexa Bliss showed up on a Raw or a pay-per-view, the same way she did this week on Raw, but with like a crazy-ass Alexa Bliss, Alexa Bliss, Tom Savini, Fiend Mask. Oh, my God. 
And then she could win the women's championship. They could make another fiend mask women's championship. I, I, I think that Alexa Bliss should be everything that she is, which is somebody that haunts the women's division the way the fiend haunts the men's division. So you're looking at an act in the fiend and Alexa Bliss together that we're worried can take over all of Monday Night Raw. That this this this, this essence is is haunting all factors. Everybody on the roster is watching their back because they never know when the red lights are going to come on. And here comes his and her fiend. I think it's great. I think it's so, so great and so, so uh, the right move. So those were, those were my real positives uh, coming off of Raw. Let's get into the full draft, though. Let's get into the entire draft, the uh, two days. Of course, uh, uh, I guess we'll start with uh, Raw. Here is who is on Raw uh, after the last, uh, after all the draft. Of course, Friday, uh, Drew McIntyre stays on Raw. Asuka stays on Raw. Hurt Business stays on Raw. AJ Styles, Naomi move to Raw. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler stays on Raw. Ricochet, Mandy Rose stay on Raw. Miz and John Morrison together go to Raw. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods without Big E go to Raw. Uh, Dana Brooke, Angel Garza, who, by the way, thank God is not as injured as people were worried he was, obviously. He was, you know, on Raw winning matches this week, also going to Raw. We move over to Talking Smack. Umberto Carrillo stays on Raw. Tucker goes to Raw, and Drew Gulak goes to Raw. So a few things here. Not surprised about Drew Gulak going to Raw. I think that, uh, especially with Daniel Bryan not being on TV, I think that Drew Gulak is a is a multifaceted player. And while earlier this year, uh, WWE was using him a lot for his ability to uh, wrestle, for his for his athleticism, now I think we're going to start seeing more of the entertainment side of Drew Gulak, more of what we're seeing on 205 Live with the no-fly zone and stuff like that. I think that that the the 24-7 title division you're looking at is R-Truth, Drew Gulak, uh, Tazawa. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing for Drew Gulak. I, I, I think that the more things that he proves that he can do successfully, the better off he'll be. So I, I don't think this is a bad spot for Drew Gulak at all. I don't respect that uh, there's been no talk of heavy machinery breaking up, that everybody's so obsessed. I mean, it was it was literally the pick after. You know, it was the new, it was Kofi and Xavier getting drafted and then Big E getting drafted separately to two separate brands. And that shook the world. But Otis was drafted in the same pick. Otis was drafted as a singles to SmackDown. And no mention of Tucker at all. I said, where's Tucky? And then we find out on Talking Smack, Tucky is going over to uh, Raw. So I, I don't know what they see for Tucker. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, clearly they see a lot in Otis, I guess, depending on the, on the week. Uh, but I, I guess, especially since Mandy's gone, I thought Tucker was kind of just a good second to Otis. Even if you view Otis as the guy, why not have Tucker watching his back? I don't know what, what harm that's going to do, but. Yeah, I, I, I'm very interested to see what happens to Tucker. Um, and then also going to Raw, this was uh, night two. Uh, before the show, uh, Graham Metalik and Lindsay Dorado were announced as being signed to Raw, which mind-boggling to me because you've been teasing a breakup, a Lucha House Party breakup for, like, weeks now, and now you're just not going to do it. Like, why... Who is making these signings, and why would Raw just sign Graham Metalik and Lindsay Dorado? Like, why would Raw not go, okay, well, we're not going to keep them together. They're going to break up, but we might as well have Kalisto, too. It's literally a free pick. I mean, same with SmackDown drafting Otis. That's one of the stupidest draft picks I've ever heard in my life, you know? I mean, I guess even Raw drafting New Day. Like, why? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but on night two, Raw drafted The Fiend. I love that The Fiend was the number one pick. If you watch the watch along that I did uh, uh, with the WWE uh, YouTube channel with the guys from The Bump, um, I said, especially after SmackDown, that The Fiend should be the number one pick 
on night two, and he was. So The Fiend going to Raw, Randy Orton, Charlotte staying on Raw, Braun Strowman, Matt Riddle, Jeff Hardy uh, going to Raw, Retribution staying on Raw, Keith Lee staying on Raw, Alexa Bliss going to Raw, Elias Raw, uh, Lacey Evans, Sheamus, that's a big one, Nikki Cross, R-Truth staying, Dabakato, Titus, who I was happy, I was happy for Titus and Tazawa both getting the TV drafts, you know, because not getting the off-air drafts, Titus staying on Raw, um, and then on Raw Talk, they announced that Riddick Moss, Arturo Ruas, and Lana all staying on Raw. I would imagine the Lana thing has to be part of the angle because when Lana won the Battle Royal and became the number one contender for the Women's Championship, which, you know, finally, finally, we're going to get the match that we've been waiting for. Ever since Asuka came to the main roster, I've been sitting there going, when are we going to see the Asuka-Lana championship match? And finally, we're getting it. I'm so excited. Asuka versus Lana in the match that is, it's going to be what we've been asking for. Look, um, I, 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 I think that, that Lana not getting drafted on television uh, has to do with the, what the commentator said. When Lana won the Battle Royal, it wasn't, and this is deliberate. This stuff happens on purpose. And, and, and the details count. And I like when the details are there because sometimes they're not. And I, so I like it when they are. Um, but when Lana won the Battle Royal, it wasn't like, oh, Lana's so sneaky or Lana's so smart. Tom Phillips kept saying, we forgot about Lana. Everyone forgot about Lana. We forgot about Lana. This is your story. We forgot about Lana. Lana's, you know, she's going to keep bragging about her social media. But the story is we forgot about Lana. It's like forgot about Dre, except in 2020. Forgot about Lana. Nowadays, everybody wants to talk like they got something to say. But nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish. And what the heck is that? Because they forgot about Lana. And Asuka, she might think that Lana's not ready for Asuka, but Asuka forgot about Lana too. Everybody forgot about Lana. They didn't even draft her. She had to get drafted on Raw Talk. And Raw, of course, getting all the uh, all the Raw Underground people. So, um, and then, all right, let's go over the SmackDown list real quick. Um, it's shorter, obviously, because SmackDown is a shorter show. But night one, SmackDown got all singles on night one. Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, which no mention of the fact that the two of the original members of The Shield are now on the same roster for the first time in a long time. Uh, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins. Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair. Big look for Bianca Belair getting drafted that high, by the way. In a good way. And, and, and it's fitting. Jay Uso. I would be insulted if I was Jay Uso in character. The fact that I'm going to be in the main event of Hell in a Cell. Like, realistically, if I'm SmackDown and Jay Uso is the challenger for the Universal Championship at Hell in a Cell. If I think there is any possibility that he's going to beat Roman Reigns, I need to draft him really early. I would say third, at least, maybe second, maybe over Seth Rollins. Because if Jey Uso wins and Raw drafts him, then I'm screwed. I just lost the Universal Champion. However, if you think that there's no way that he's going to beat Roman Reigns, then you can draft Seth Rollins, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, whoever you want. SmackDown got Dominic and Rey Mysterio, which was a head-scratcher for me. Uh, then they got Big E as a singles. He was left over. Uh, and Otis. And they made that choice. So, actually, the Big E as a singles guy, you can tell that is a story. I'm not so caught up in that. You know, and it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Lana. I think that, that Big E can talk about not being wanted. I think he's the one guy in the tag team splits that he can talk about being unwanted because he got drafted after his New Day brethren did. And Murphy and Kalisto were both drafted to SmackDown on Talking Smack. So, okay, so Kalisto was actually drafted to SmackDown by himself first, and then Raw just picked up uh, Graham Ethelique and, um, and Lindsay Dorado. So I guess that was SmackDown only wanting Kalisto for whatever reason. Uh, 
Shorty G announced uh, right before Raw that he was going to SmackDown. And then uh, on Raw, we found out Bailey, the Street Profits, which was fairly predictable, uh, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Lars Sullivan, probably the biggest surprise of the whole draft process is that Lars Sullivan is back. And he's back to crushing everybody. And he's been drafted to SmackDown. So Raw is going to have Retribution. And SmackDown is going to have Lars Sullivan. Uh, and he's, I think he's got a match with Jeff Hardy, they said, on SmackDown this week. Uh, King Corbin stays on SmackDown, as does Sami Zayn, Shinsuke, Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode back to SmackDown, Apollo Crews, Carmella, and Aleister Black all got drafted to SmackDown. Um, Natalia and the Riot Squad were drafted to SmackDown uh, after Raw. So Lana and Natalia already being split up, um, which again goes back to the theory. I think they're going to tell the story of Lana and being forgotten about um, going forward. Um, and I think, oh, and it's not here on the thing, but I think I think Zelina was drafted to SmackDown, as was Billy Kay. Tamina might be on Raw. I think the only people we're left with not drafted as of the time of this recording is um, Mickey James and Andrade. Neither one of those two have been drafted yet. Uh, I did not realize that uh, upon uh, the breakup of Angel and Andrade that Andrade would just become a punching bag. Uh, we got the Angel versus Andrade match with no uh, no hype at all going into it. Um, Angel beat him clean, and then Andrade also got beaten up last week, and then he also got beaten up by the Fiends. So, you know, I don't know what the plan is for Andrade right now, but I think that when you look through this draft, the reason that some people felt underwhelmed is because you don't necessarily see a shakeup in things. You know, I mean, you're like, oh, there's beef between Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles. Well, now they're both on Raw. I mean, I, I think, I think having so much neatness about it. This draft is so neat. There's such a bow on it. Like, it, it, it is so clear-cut, aside from a very few exceptions, that, you know, it left people going like, okay, I can clearly see where this is going. It, it feels like you started building towards Hell in a Cell before the draft, and the road hasn't been disrupted by the draft whatsoever. I mean... Sasha and Bailey are still on the same show. The idea that that Seth and Dominic and Ray and Buddy Murphy are all on the same show is like, it hurts. Kevin Owens and Aleister Black are on the same show. Braun Strowman and Keith Lee, you know, they started it on the same show. Um, you know, I, I, I think that you, you the only thing that really changed up anything you know you got Miz and Morrison who are now on Raw but they're really doing the same act um the only stuff that you look at that's changed is Elias he turned heel and he started something with Jeff Hardy but like that's my thing like Elias turned heel started something with Jeff Hardy these are two Smackdown guys that are just doing it on Raw now like we could have had that exact same scenario happen with blue ropes on the ring and it wouldn't have made a difference. You know, I think that the idea is, you know, you want to, you want to see things more like when Seth Rollins and AJ Styles were in the ring together. The whole point of having the draft is that you've got two rosters of guys and there are matches that you want to see that you're just not going to be able to see. You know, I, I think that, 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 immediately you have to start doing and and, <laughs> and to to plant the seeds of Keith Lee and Braun Strowman to plant so many of these seeds and then have it pay off so neatly it was just such a neat draft that it made me go like okay you know i mean i the, i predicted a lot of it and the only stuff i didn't predict was the stuff that i made more complicated just to keep it interesting you know i i the draft the draft should do two things. The draft should make the shows at least for a couple weeks feel fresh. You know, the idea is that you will tune in at least for the draft shows 
on SmackDown and Raw because there's something very noteworthy happening. And then for a week or two after, you're going to tune in because you want to see where the dust settles. What's this going to look like? There should be at least one to two matches at Hell in a Cell that were made before the draft that are interpromotional matches because we didn't realize that everything would get so shaken up. You know, this is a dust up. This is not a shake up. The Fiend and Alexa Bliss, well, The Fiend and Alexa Bliss, I would have been outraged if you had broken them up. But we saw them on Raw. It was an amazing segment. But it was the same. It, you, it was the same as SmackDown. It was the same. So that's where I'm like, you know, I, I think eventually, I figure we're going to get to The Fiend and Drew McIntyre. I feel like that's where we're going. But you know how I feel about The Fiend going after the the championship. It's not good. Because I feel like The Fiend is not going to beat Drew McIntyre. I truly believe that given, given the rosters that we have right now, I think The Miz has to get that briefcase from Otis. Because Otis ain't beating Roman Reigns, and he ain't beating whoever beats Roman Reigns. It's not going to happen. It was maybe going to happen before. It's not going to happen. I think The Miz needs to get that briefcase. You need to keep that storyline going. It's holdover. Get it going, but wrap it up this week on SmackDown. Just wrap it up. Do what you're going to do, but get the briefcase off Otis. Put it on The Miz. Have The Miz cash in and have The Miz take the title away from Drew McIntyre. It'll make The Miz one of the top heels in the company. People will believe in The Miz. If you make The Miz a top-tier villain in WWE, it will work right now. He was not ready to be that guy 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was not time for The Miz. Now it is. And 10 years ago, it didn't even not work. I think it did work 10 years ago. But now it'll really work. Now you'll get everybody hook, line, and sinker. Now you won't have people going, why is The Miz the top guy? Now you'll have people going, of course The Miz is the top guy. And with The Miz as your top bad guy, you don't have to keep coming up with power matches. You can have Braun Strowman and Keith Lee over here. You can have The Fiend and Randy Orton over there. And then you can have Drew McIntyre trying to get his hands around that neck, that chicken neck of The Miz to get his title back. And this is just something, I'd say do it quick, and just something that can lead into WrestleMania. Drew McIntyre can get the title back before WrestleMania. This doesn't have to be the future. I'm not saying, you know, give up on the Drew McIntyre experiment and make The Miz your guy. I'm saying make The Miz shake things up. And, and, and give people something to root for Drew McIntyre for. Drew McIntyre has to outsmart The Miz. In the process, I would have The Miz turn on John, C uh, uh, John Morrison. I was thinking about 10 years ago with The Miz and John Cena. But I would have The Miz turn on John Morrison. You know, I would have the title go to his head. I would have The Miz turn on John Morrison. And dude, if you can get Maurice back, you go back to, I think, I want to say 2017 when Maurice first came back. I know that there's kids involved now and she might just want to be a stay-at-home mom and that's cool if she does. But if there's any way to get Maurice back performing, Maurice and The Miz together, one of the best bad guy acts the WWE can possibly have. I mean, it's just a true villain act and you put the WWE championship on it don't the Miz was the Miz's intercontinental title run as a bad guy on Smackdown with Maurice at his side was one of the best things ever this was the talking smack era when the Miz was sitting there cutting that promo on Daniel Bryan okay that's the Miz we can get back he's still capable of that probably more now than ever the Miz doesn't get worse he gets better as a performer so, take advantage of it. And people wouldn't see it coming. People wouldn't predict that. Especially because now, really, like, the Money in the Bank briefcase is far from a guarantee as a cash-in. It is far from a guarantee that you're going to successfully cash it in. 
And I don't think anybody would believe with the with the the route that Drew McIntyre is on, the fact that he if he were going to lose the title, he would have lost it in the ambulance match. I don't think Drew McIntyre is losing at Hell in a Cell. But I think when you're talking about a Hell in a Cell match, enough damage can get done to a person that somebody sneaking in with a briefcase and putting on that skull-crushing finale can really spoil the ending of a pay-per-view. And it can lead you into a pretty cool place. But, I mean, and who knows? Maybe he doesn't get the title back. You know, ultimately, ultimately, I want things to go to a Roman Reigns-Drew McIntyre WrestleMania match. I know everybody's asking for Roman Reigns versus The Rock, but I think that that's your WrestleMania match is Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. So the biggest, biggest good guy in the company versus biggest bad guy in the company. It's, you know, who's the number one guy in the company? It's, it's so obvious that this is the match. And why not shine a spotlight on two guys that you've built from the ground up as opposed to trying to, you know, find a legend or a celebrity or whatever. But who knows how it'll happen. Um, I was I was wondering when I was watching Raw if they were going to explain the Elias thing, and they did. Elias is still mad at Jeff Hardy uh, for running him over with the car. You remember that bit on SmackDown when... Uh, uh, Jeff Hardy was was made to look like he was involved in that car accident, but probably wasn't because he's a good guy. I mean, I think the Samoan Dynasty thing might be going a little bit far because clearly, clearly this is all a setup for Rikishi to come back and say, no, no, Elias, I ran you over. And Elias will go, why'd you run me over, Rikishi? And you already know what he's going to say. I did it, but a rock. I can't wait for it. Um, I can't wait. Uh, A couple of notes. Uh, First of all, speaking of the Samoan dynasty, I am so excited. The WWE Network just added a best of Yokozuna package. I've been thinking a lot about uh, uh, characters in the past. Uh, I think that, that 1993 is an underrated year for WWE, first of all. I think 93 is still good. I think 94 and 95 is where you get sketchy. But really, right before you realized the Lex Luger thing wasn't going to work, which was, you know, August 93 was Lex Luger winning at SummerSlam by countout against Yoko. But I think that there was, at least, you know, I think there was a lot of good in 1993. A lot of people, you go, well, what was good about WWF or WWE or whatever you want to say in 1993? And a lot of people would say it was Bret the Hitman Hart. And, that you know, he was obviously the guy. And that's what happened to him at WrestleMania 9 shouldn't have happened. And that's why, you know, when you got to WrestleMania 10 and you realized that all your options had ran out. And the person, you know, the girl you should have been with just took off her glasses and ponytail. And this is the girl you should have been with the whole time. That was Bret the Hitman Hart. But. There's two characters from 1993 that were two of the greatest characters of all time. One was Doink the Clown, Matt Bourne's portrayal of Doink the Clown, which we'll get into at a future point. And the other is Yokozuna. Yokozuna is one of the best wrestlers of all time. Yokozuna is so good. When you go through that Samoan dynasty, you have to understand that you've not only got Rikishi and you've got the Head Shrinkers and the Wild Samoans and Roman and the Usos and everybody, everybody that you could think of, but you've got two superstars that to me as much as people talk about them are still grossly underrated two of to me the most special once in a lifetime superstars that you're ever going to see one is Umaga and one is Yokozuna I mean Umaga was the fact that I don't think Umaga ever came close to reaching his potential I think Umaga is just one of the best to ever do it. And I feel the exact same way about Yokozuna. Yokozuna's first run up until, really for me, up until the end of 94, Yokozuna was just incredible. You have, he comes in in 92. He goes through squash matches, right? His first pay-per-view match, he beats Virgil, meat sauce and all. At Survivor Series 92. But 
you know, people talk about, uh, you know, I think on, on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, he's talked about there was an idea that they were going to have Scott Steiner win the Royal Rumble, or his idea was to have Scott Steiner win the Royal Rumble in 1993 and go to WrestleMania and, and maybe even win the title. Um, and you go, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to see a new guy win the Royal Rumble and go to WrestleMania? And you're like, that's exactly what happened. Yokozuna's second pay-per-view match ever, he won the Royal Rumble, last eliminating Macho Man Randy Savage. We take for granted that he was the top heel in the company at that time. He had been around for two or three months in a place where people had been established. We were just getting over Hulk Hogan. Main event talent had been established. You're talking about a time when it's like Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan. And Yoko comes in. Nobody's seen this guy before. And he comes in and he squashes some enhancement talent and he squashes Virgil and he wins the Royal Rumble. He goes to WrestleMania. He beats Bret Hart. He won the title from Bret Hart. That's the headline. Hogan beats him. Chicanery, for sure. Mr. Fuji screwed up. Then... Yoko beats Hogan at King of the Ring. And while this is marred in controversy because it meant that we didn't get the Hogan-Brett match at SummerSlam 93 that people talk about so much, realistically, if we could take it out of that context and just put it in the context that it exists in, you're now talking about Yokozuna getting a pinfall victory over Hulk Hogan. How many people beat Hulk Hogan? Undertaker did in Survivor Series 91. Warrior did at... WrestleMania 6, the only reason he didn't have the title at WrestleMania 4 was because he was cheated out of it when Andre pinned him, with the, but he didn't really get pinned, so that doesn't count as a loss. I mean, up until 93? I'm talking about a small handful of people that had ever pinned Hulk Hogan. Flaming camera or no flaming camera, Yoko beat Hogan. He goes through, the Lex Express starts, the body slam challenge, the body slam heard around the world on the USS Intrepid. He goes through the Lex Express summer. Lex wins by countout, but they keep the title on Yoko. Survivor Series. Then he goes to uh, uh, Royal Rumble, which is just an amazing spectacle. Puts the Undertaker in a casket. Undertaker loses his first casket match. Yoko gets the help from every villain talent in the locker room and Undertaker ascends to the skies. Brett and Lex Luger win that year. Yoko has two matches at WrestleMania 10. Beats Lex Luger and then has a rematch with Brett where he finally loses the title. But Yoko's not done because, you know, flash forward to Survivor Series of that year, 1994, and we finally see the rematch, the coffin match, Yoko versus Undertaker. Um, and Undertaker finally gets his, his, his revenge. And, you know, that's kind of the end of Yokozuna as a singles main eventer. And that's when he starts to kind of gain weight. And, and, and you know, we lose kind of the original Yokozuna. But at the same time, the stuff that he did with Owen as a tag team was great. I loved the Owen Hart-Yokozuna tag team championship era in the beginning. You know, and it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a terrible shame how his career petered out and how his life ended, just because you're looking at a guy. You watch him from basically from November of '92 until November of '94. You watch those two years, and you can even go past a little bit. You can even go into that era where he and Owen were a tag team. I mean, man, there has never been anyone even close to Yoko. And we can do an Umaga diatribe one of these days because I feel the same way. But I say all this because the WWE, and I don't think Yoko gets celebrated the way he should because I don't think that era gets celebrated. You know, that era is kind of like the rebuilding era. It was right before, it, numbers were down. They didn't really know what to do. They didn't, they didn't put all their eggs in one basket the way they did with Hogan. They didn't really ever pull the trigger on Brett properly. The Lex Luger thing didn't work. And, you know, keep in mind that 
yes, that you could say that they tried it with Macho Man. But that was always meant to be temporary, I think. And nobody would ever say that Macho Man didn't work, right? And you could compare it to Warrior. You could say it didn't work with Warrior, that Warrior was supposed to be the heir apparent to Hogan. And Hogan had to come in and save the day before WrestleMania 7 or at WrestleMania 7. But realistically, nobody really looks at the Warrior title run and goes, what happened? If you were a kid watching the Warrior, like you remember that fondly. You remember WrestleMania 6 fondly. And you remember Warrior going after WrestleMania, you know, starting his stuff. Who did he, is WrestleMania 7 into SummerSlam 91. Yeah, they did. That was the tag match. And well, no, that wasn't. That was after. That was after WrestleMania 7. So SummerSlam 90. Yeah, that was Rick Rude, wasn't it? I don't remember. But 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 the point is that the Warriors title run isn't isn't looked at negatively. And it led to his best match. The Warrior title run ends at Royal Rumble 1990 or 1991 when Macho Man cost him the match with Sergeant Slaughter. And then you go to the career-ending match, Warrior versus Macho Man. And I would say that's Warrior's best match. So I don't think you look at Warrior and Lex Luger the same way. You know, you look at Lex Luger as a guy, because they did pull the trigger on Warrior. They did, he did have the title, and the way he lost the title actually made sense and led to something better. With Lex, he never won the title, and it never led to anything better. He never became the star that it seemed like he was going to be. So that's why I think 93 is not looked at fondly. But realistically, if you pull out Yokozuna, you're like, look at this guy. Look what we had in 93. This is an incredible year for this talent. So uh, I don't know. I think uh, I, I had it uh, right in front of me real quick. Um, I don't know 100% uh, what was on uh, the best of Yokozuna that's on the WWE Network. But I'm just, I got really happy when I saw uh, Yokozuna uh, getting his, uh, his due. I got really happy when I saw Yokozuna uh, uh, getting that shine because uh, he deserves it. He really, really does. Um, let me see. I'm seeing if I can find it real quick. Uh, yeah. Okay. It looks like this is it. Um, bear with me. Uh, yes, we got, uh, uh, Kogel Beware versus Yokozuna from the first episode of Raw, the 93 Royal Rumble match that he won, uh, the Bret Hart match from WrestleMania 9, the Hogan match from King of the Ring 93. The Lex Luger match at SummerSlam 93. Yeah, this is all the bad. Yeah, they, they're going. They, okay, it's the exact era. And it runs through Survivor Series 94. Yup, just like I said. They include Owen and Yoko versus the Smoking Guns at WrestleMania 11. Yup, because that he took off. I mean, after Survivor Series 94, we didn't see him until he was the surprise partner, I believe, for Owen at WrestleMania 11. And then they also include Yoko versus Shawn Michaels from Raw of August of 96, which I am going to go back and watch. But. I mean, okay, I didn't, that's so funny. I didn't even read the lineup, but that lineup matches exactly with why I said Yoko was so good. Um, also, Eva Marie, uh, I, I'm reading a lot of rumors that Eva Marie is uh, uh, possibly returning to WWE, which I really hope she is. You know, I, I don't think uh, anybody, Eva Marie, right before she left WWE, and, and, and that's another one that people don't remember correctly. You know, people remember Eva Marie as, whether it's botching, I don't know. It's just not fair to Eva Marie the way people remember her because really, Eva Marie plays the heel character that she played. That Hollywood, I'm better than you. I'm better than this. I don't need to be wrestling character. She does that better than anybody has. She does it excellently. I mean, she's she's a perfect heel. Uh, and I, I, I think, she, I think she would be a great addition. You know, she, she's, she's, it'd be interesting to see where she fits in because her character isn't that different from Lana's character. And it appears to be similar to what the road that Carmella is going down. I, you know, we can't really know until we know. Interesting that Carmella, by the way, is staying on SmackDown because she's never been on Raw. I think she's one of the only superstars that has never been on Raw. Um, but, I'm very interested to see what happens with with Eva Marie if she really is coming back because 
I think she's great. Uh, go back and watch, like, her run. When, when SmackDown first had that re-split. Remember when SmackDown, I think, moved to two? When SmackDown became SmackDown Live, that's what it was. When SmackDown became SmackDown Live, and they split it, and they put Shane in charge of SmackDown and Stephanie in charge of Raw, and they tried to make the shows different, and they used the jib shot for SmackDown, and they brought the headbangers back, and they were doing all this stuff. I think, I think, if I remember right, that that's the era that Eva Marie was one of the heels, one of the top women's heels. And Eva Marie not wrestling, not wrestling her matches because of a wardrobe malfunction or a twisted ankle or coming up with excuses to not have matches. One of the best runs ever. I just loved it. So hopefully she can keep that same energy uh, and bring it back. I'm really looking forward to it. By the way, uh, we will have a big uh, Not Sam Wrestling related announcement on Thursday of this week. There is a huge announcement happening on Thursday. I will release it uh, via audio. I will put out a video. Um, But yeah, big, big announcement happening on Thursday as it pertains to Not Sam Wrestling. So be on the lookout for that. I appreciate all you guys bearing with me on this late podcast. I will talk to you again on Thursday. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.